This is Dialogue, a podcast series from American Mosaic. I'm John Van Dyke, and I want you to join me on my journey around the country having conversations with complete strangers that I meet along the way. It all started in early 2017. I woke up and realized that I did not recognize my country, and I felt a need to find out who we are today, who are the American people. I ask questions about life, about family, about values, about work, about community. They're simple questions, and sometimes the answers are complex. It's who we are today. It's the fabric of the country, the people, and the places. In this episode, I'm in Butte, Montana, a place that I wanted to uh, visit for some time. Butte's an interesting uh, town. It's kind of left over from uh, a a previous era when uh, it was the uh, copper capital of the world, I think, for that matter. Certainly uh, in the United States, and uh, Butte uh, had a population of uh, somewhere approaching 100,000 people. Today, Butte's a very different place. Uh, It's been uh, rebuilding, and there's still uh, some mine activity. It became a giant open pit mining, uh, and that has much of it been closed down, and it's become a huge environmental problem. As uh, someone once said, uh, Butte uh, is not a town with a mine, it's a uh, mine with a town. So I found a place to stay in uh, an old bank building that had been converted into a uh, kind of a boutique uh, hotel, and it was one of uh, only maybe two options, I think, in town. So I was uh, out looking for some dinner, and uh, I found an Irish pub place. Uh, there's a lot of Irish in Butte. Anyway, I'm in the uh, in the place and I'm sitting at the, at the bar, and there was two uh, bartenders there. One of them was uh, Shana, and uh, Shana and I struck up a conversation, and she was interested in my project, and she agreed that to have she'd have a conversation with me. So the next morning, on a Saturday morning. We met at the hotel, and there was a sitting area up on the second floor and uh, had a conversation. Uh, Shana's a very interesting uh, young lady, and um, I think that uh, she has a lot of insights about uh, what people her age are thinking today. And I was kind of surprised uh, coming from her and uh, from Butte, Montana. I hope you like this episode and uh, encourage you to uh, please subscribe if you would. Being born in Butte, uh, something I'm very fortunate for, has been, it's been a growing process and I'm very happy to be here. Uh, Like I said, my mother was the best dad ever and I'm really grateful that I had her. I don't think that I missed out by my father being in prison and when he gets out, I would not turn him away. What do you do in Butte? What's, uh, for a young person, opportunities? Uh, Well, unfortunately, there's not much to do here. A kid will work at McDonald's, he'll take a two-week paycheck to go to the movie theater that we have, and it'll cost him half of that paycheck just to go to the theater by the time he's got the tickets for he and his date, popcorn, pops, and it's extremely expensive. And then they wonder why a lot of the kids end up going out to kegs or fires out in, like, surrounding areas. There's a lot of underage drinking, I would say. Not everybody, but... There's not a lot of, there's, you know, there's not a dance hall, there's not a skating rink, there's 
the bowling alley has leagues every time you try to go bowl. So a lot of people, I think, have the perception growing up here that this town is causing them from succeeding. It's holding them back. And I think that as someone who did grow up here and felt that way, it was important to notice that it wasn't the town. I think that if you have bad behavior or bad habits or you're not motivated or driven, that you won't be no matter where you are. You know, and just in case I missed some of this, I want you to just repeat again. Yeah. I think the mix again. I, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, my mother is from her side of the family. She's German and Sicilian and Irish. And then from my father's side, I get my Native American and Mexican. And I'm actually two different uh, Native American tribes, uh, Chippewa, Cinnaboyne. Uh, so my grandmother from my father's side was Assiniboine, and my grandfather from my father's side was Chippewa. There's a lot of Chippewa Crees here in Butte that came down from Turtle Mountain. My tribe would technically be the Lost Tribe from Little Show. And my grandmother's mother, so my great-grandmother, was an infant when her family came over on Ellis Island from Sicily. So her, she was raised by her grandparents herself that didn't speak much English. She didn't, she didn't know how to drive. Um, she was married until she was, until my grandmother herself was about 18, and my grandma was the oldest. So as soon as my grandma turned 18, my great-grandmother left. And it wasn't until my grandfather searched for my grandma's mother that they found each other again. Being a certain part Native American, there's so much conversation today about immigrants in this country. Yeah. And we seem to be so divided and so certain people are anti-immigrant and, uh, and you're kind of a mix of things and then of course there's a Native American which seems to be left out of the discussion most of the time. Seeing as how they were here first. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, do you have any well, so thoughts about that? Or? Personally, uh, I know that this country is a land of immigrants so that's it's really hard to to want to end that because this was this was a place where a lot of people sought refuge and you know hope for a better future and a better life and there's no better example than Butte, Montana for that. Um, in our mining days people all walks of people were here. We have a Chinatown, um, the Meterville and Walkerville area had, had different Italians, Sicilians, um, Native Americans of course were here before any of them uh, and of course we ended up with some Mexican culture here also which I think is just because of how it worked anyway. Uh, Mexicans and natives are becoming one and the same. <laughs> but as, a, as somebody who has all these different backgrounds, I feel, I don't feel that I resonate with any of them. I'm, I'm, I'm butte American. And I really think that a lot of people here feel that way. When you walk around here, we have such diversity, but we don't. Um, everybody's one and the same. And it's, you, don't, you don't ever feel like you are different from anybody, even if you happen to have a different background. And I think that's just because there's always been so many different people here that it's just it's how it is. It's accepted. I know there's certainly uh, a lot of history, and I guess, uh, from what I understand, uh, there once was a population of 100,000 people. As many as New York City we held in just Uptown Butte. And Uptown Butte only goes down to about at the, at the lowest Platinum Street. And we, of course we've extended way further out now, but Uptown Butte, we had street lights before New York City did. And the mine is, is of course what funded that. And I don't think that without Butte mining specifically, we would have made it through World War II. And 
So a lot of people, we still have Montana resources today, and I think a lot of people are concerned about the effects environmentally that the mine is, but you have to you have to accept it because without it, we wouldn't be here. So, you know, it's, it's a lesser of two evils, and it continues to fund this town and surrounding areas. I've been some places where uh, there's a huge drug problem, and okay. small towns and towns where there's unemployment and so on. Is there a drug problem here? Well, we have the Montana Meth Watch. Uh, for the longest time, we, I think we were the third. At one point, we were the, the first uh, ranking in the worst problem, meth problem in, in the nation, which is partially why my father is in prison. So um, that's something that affected me very personally. Uh, it was something that both my parents had had a history with when I was born. I was, my mom had me very young. My, that's why my grandparents ended up being my parents. And my mom has come a long way, and she is the strongest person I've ever known. My father, however, isn't as strong, and I really hope that the next time I see him, he's stronger than he was. But growing up here, you see, you see that. You, you lose friends to myth. And it's getting worse now because it's not just meth. We have huge heroin problem. Um, but if you're not involved in it, you don't see it, I think is the thing. So just because I had the background with my family is why I noticed it. Some people don't think that there's a problem, and that's just because they're in the wrong area. <laughs> but it's something that a lot of people have grown to be able to function with. So you, somebody may be a user of several years, if not you know, a decade, and you wouldn't be able to tell. And there was a huge shift in the types of people that there were when pseudoephedrine went behind the counter. It, it's not its not exactly this. When I was a child, when I would be with my father, you know, I, I remember driving around with him in the middle of the night, dropping things off. And that's like the only memory that I probably have with him. But the people that he had around were not the kind of people that you have here today. Uh, they, it was, they seemed more euphoric, uh, like as if that was their feeling that they were having. And then today, there's a lot of theft, and uh, people are a lot more flaily. Uh, but like I said, that's only one group of people in the town, and they seem to not, you know, mingle with people that aren't. So I think the people that have ne don't have any kind of history or background with it, they don't really see it. But if you look at the numbers of deaths that we have, we had 18 overdoses of heroin just last year. And that's something that we didn't see before because that wasn't here. You're kind of fortunate you survived a challenging childhood. It, at the time, I, would, I, I didn't see it as challenging. And so I went through a period where I, I was angry. I was a very angry person. Um, I was getting in trouble for fighting, hurting people that I loved, and it took a lot to step outside of that and, and not be a product of my environment. I, I had plenty of examples of how my life could be if I chose to do the things that they did. And I don't know, I, I get told that I'm wise beyond my years and that I have a very good perspective of things for somebody my age. And so I tried to utilize that and, and almost own that compliment that I hold because I, I know how things could go. It's hard, but every day, every single day I try to to be somebody that goes in that opposite direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what do you think about uh, what do you think about 
this divisiveness in the country. Well, I, I think if everybody just knew their neighbor, knew their name, knew what they did, said hi to them on a daily basis, we'd be a much uh, caring group of people, a, a much more empathetic society. I think a lot of people today think that minding your own business is the best way to do things, turn a blind eye, allow things to happen. And I, I really think that that's, that's holding us back. If, I think that if we saw something bad going on and spoke up, but there's a lot of people that do, and there are outside forces or, you know, governments or establishments that, that don't like that, you know. But I think a lot of people are asleep. Um, I don't know. Uh, a friend of mine calls, calls them sheeple, and there are very few of us that are awake. But I think that a lot of us are waking up. I think a lot of us are seeing we can't accept what we're told as being truth anymore. And so there has to be some sort of growth or change. You have to shift in some way. Once the answers that you're given for why things are the way they are don't fit anymore, you, we're going to continue to ask the questions. So I have a lot of hope for people. I think that collectively, if, if more of us woke up and cared more about one another, we become a better society in general. It's interesting to me what young people think about uh, politics today and the politicians. And um, the other thing is voting. A lot of people, I've come to realize, almost 50% of eligible voters did not vote in 2016. Right. Presidential and if you don't vote, you don't have a right to complain. <laughs> in, in my opinion, I vote. I'm, uh, and I am. I think that an uneducated voter is probably worse than a non-voter, uh, and especially on a local level. I, I really do my research on candidates, and I don't vote for a party. I vote for the person. Um, I think a lot of people, including myself, have a little bit of the notion that it doesn't matter at a presidential level, and I think that that's, that's common in a lot of people. Uh, they think it's already the way it is. However, if you look at the way if you look at some of the things that were shown, which we can't hold too much value to m most of it, valid sourcing is really hard to find. But the election, this election specifically was very interesting. It, it seemed as if out of nowhere it shifted, it, that it was going to go, you know, that Hillary was going to be unanimous. And then it switched. And so, especially talking to people in this town, it's a huge, are you Democrat or are you Republican? And if, and as a bartender, I see those kinds of conversations starting, and I ask to get involved, and that's, that's an unspoken rule. You don't talk about politics or religion in a bar. And I learned my lesson the hard way with that. <laughs> but um, I think a lot of people just are told by their parents that they need to be a certain party, and they don't even consider that they could have a different view of it. And everybody has that point, I think, even becoming an adult, where they realize they don't have to think that the way their parents think. And I think I learned that very early. <laughs> My grandfather uh, fought in Vietnam. And he's, so he's obviously, he's a Democrat. <laughs> and he has a lot of views that, you know, and as he's getting older, he, it, he doesn't filter them very often. So watching the news with him is a nightmare. <laughs> but as a man who did fight and saw some of the things that he saw, I don't argue with him because he was there firsthand. And no matter if, it was 
what he did was justified or if it was right or wrong, and that was a huge controversy with Vietnam, I won't take that away from him, that what he thought he was doing was right. And plus, he's in an age group where you won't change their mind. You know, they're set in their ways, especially my grandfather. But I have some different views than he does. Um, a little bit more conservative views. I wouldn't say that I identify with another party, like I said, but I, I do pay attention more to specific issues rather than belonging to a group of somebody that believes a whole of something. Yeah, I've heard um, some people say, and actually a couple of young people in conversations I've heard uh, yeah, about um, the importance of, uh, I know you were saying presidential, of course, is important, yes. but it's really important at the local level because oh, yeah. there's an awful lot of things that come up from, yeah, absolutely. from the bottom. And um, I guess Montana certainly is known for it's politics, I guess, yeah. to a certain degree. Yes. Yeah. As, as is interesting that most places are, in a way. I mean, yeah. one place like where I'm from is everyone just assumes that's very liberal, right? Yeah. That's right. Locally, how about uh, just in Butte? And then it goes from Butte to what? To, I guess to. Helena, uh, probably. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so, um, are people. Pay attention to politics here, locally in Butte. And you know, I think I, I I do because I worked for one of our justices of the peace. Uh, I worked in his restaurant for six years, so um, I pay I pay attention, especially at that local level, uh, helping him campaign. And uh, I got to, I'm very good friends with the clerk and recorder that works in our uh, courthouse, and her husband is the bailiff, and we'd have conversations on current issues and uh, especially I helped with the judging of the election down at the Civic Center during votes and so I got involved in that way and I really think that I, I saw a lot of people voting but not a lot of people that I grew up with you know um, I think that I think that we a lot of our non-voters were probably people in my age group uh, do people think about the country do think do you think people today think about what's good for the country, or is it mostly just what's good for them right in front of them? I think a lot of people have lost hope for our country. I think a lot of people here think it's pretty much doomed. <laughs> um, you, I hear that especially with my with my grandparents. My grandmother's scared to death that there's going to be war in our homeland because of Trump, and I don't think that I don't think that view is going to change for her because my grandfather probably instills that in her also. There's a lot of fear, I think. I don't think that there's hope for the country. I think there's a lot of fear. Is that maybe because uh, knowledge of history and having seen or witnessed or been through or you know, close to events like that? And, and uh, you know, I mean, I can relate to that. I mean, I think history is always kind of important. Sometimes gives us an indication of maybe where the future lies. And those who fail history are doomed to repeat it. But... I've learned that the loser doesn't write the history book also. And I think that right now with a lot of fake news and, and Butte is always like 10 to 20 years behind the rest of the country, I feel, in what's really going on in the world. Um, so it's hard for anyone to know what is really going on because it's hard to believe anything. Um, uh, personally, I remember my American history class was very, you go from what happened 
you know, one year and then it jumps another 300 years. What happened in that 300 years? That's barely as long as we've been a nation. And most of that has been spent in a war. So I think that a lot of people just think that we're militant. Um, we are the greatest country in the world, but I don't think a lot of people know why. Let me ask you, are you, uh, are you optimistic? In every aspect of my life. I've always looked for the silver lining. Uh, I, had, I had to be. There were a lot of times where I felt as if it couldn't get any worse. So I guess it has to get better. And I'm, I like that that's a part of who I am. I like that I always know that things could get better because I always know they could get worse as well. And I, I have hope for myself. I have hope for Butte. I have hope for the country. I have, I have hope for Donald Trump. I don't, I don't root for his failure because that's like rooting for ours. I, I hope that he's got some sort of plan even and that, you know, he's, he's obviously a businessman and maybe that's what we needed in a sense. I'm not exactly sure that his communication skills and uh, the way he communicates with the country is correct. Uh, the fact that my grandmother sits at home scared 24-7 about a war is not good. And I wish that he would be more uh, easing people, you know. I wish that he, but maybe that could go against what he's trying to do also. What do you think about uh, truthfulness? What do you think about news, whether it's fake, manipulated, or honesty, integrity, truthfulness as, as values? Um, there are some people that question whether the leadership is dealing in truthfulness. I think it's evident that we've been lied to for, for, for probably longer than we know. I think that especially around the time of the Vietnam War and you know the assassination of JFK is when we realized that we have been lied to. It's a time when most people realized that they couldn't believe everything that they were being told by their government. And that's why that was such a social movement. And that was like, that, that's what summer love and people were you know realizing that they don't have to conform to what they're told is right and what, they, what they're told is true because it was proven that there were lies. And that we, see, we see a lot of lies today. And I think a lot of it is just accepted. I, I value honesty and integrity above all else. Uh, if I, I do not appreciate being lied to, uh, but I know that it happens. And I hope that my intuition can judge when I'm being lied to. But I get a real disconnect with my hear the president say one thing right. and then two days later he says something else like it's okay to say this and then you can say this and that's what I mean by I wish that he would be better a better communicator I wish that he would be a more honest uh, a more honest leader of our people you know you, you said something to me and I've had some other people say this and I find it interesting about uh, well he's a good businessman for someone who's filed bankruptcy, how many, how many times? And so I'm wondering how how do, how do we determine what's a good business person in today's world? It's definitely monetary. Um, I think you know he's built an empire, so that would that would that would automatically make one assume that he was good in business. Um, I guess maybe the the change that would need to happen then would be to stop viewing America as a business, as a brand, but. There's a lot of things happening right now with our currency that has, again, been going since Vietnam time. And I think that's, that's probably why we've, everything's a brand name. You know, 
how how do you sell yourself how do you how do you sell what you do how do you how do you make money and i think that might be the root of the problem and I, everybody knows that money is the root of the problem as a young person um what do you think about if it's a problem what, what do we do i mean is everything about money is it just about money Could to most people to most people view money as their wealth and as somebody who has never had much money and has worked for all that I have, wealth to me has become free time because I work so much. Wealth to me has been, you know, those, those moments with my family that I get to spend instead of working. Uh, wealth to me is en having enjoyment in those times and not feeling stressed out about other things. And I don't, I don't hold a lot of... I don't know how I'd say it. Uh, money, money doesn't matter to me. I think the way it does other people. If I, I don't ever want more than I need. I don't have a desire to earn a lot of money and save it. I blow it. It's not important. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I've adopted the view that you can't take it with you when you die. So, I want to enjoy this life that I have here. I have no proof of what my next life will be or what life is after. So I'm just going to try to enjoy this one the best I can. What do you see yourself doing uh, in the next? year, five years, or do you have, a, do you have any kind of a plan for, or are you just letting things happen? Um, I always have some sort of plan. Uh, it, it changes daily. Uh, I, I did a couple years. I went studied a couple years up at Montana Tech. I, I graduated from Butte High in 2013 with a 4.0, and I didn't go to school right away, but then when I did, it just wasn't right. I, I wasn't doing as well in college as I had done in high school. And I think it was because of being lost. I think we go to college way too early here. I think that that's a, 18 is way too young to know what you want to do with the rest of your life. You haven't had a chance to discover things and try new things. There's so much out there that you can do. So I started, started working in restaurant and bars and I became kind of stagnant in that for about the last seven years. And I've only recently, now I'm 24, uh, I've had the desire to go back. Just need to figure out a, a field of study. I seem to be very good with people, so maybe sales, but that seems to contradict my uh, not, you know, love of money. <laughs> but but um, I, I think that that would be a way to still get to connect with people that I do like I do when I'm in the bar. That's my favorite part of bartending is the people I meet. You could always sell something that you really believe in. Absolutely. So... Uh, I gotta find something to sell. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, uh, what do you get your news and your information? Uh, what uh, you know, in, in today's world, there's so many different places, and you were mentioned earlier, uh, you know, news that's not real or fake yeah. or whatever. And, and I guess part of that question is, uh, what do you think of social media and uh, things on Facebook? So, I don't. I don't ever open anything on Facebook that has anything to do with politics. I think a lot of people read even just the headline of something they see on Facebook and that's now their belief. They don't even go into the article. They just believe what that headline says. And I've personally gone into arguments with people about it because I do my own research and I try to hold, hold you know, with the view of you should find it from three valid sources before you hold any truth to it. Because there is, there's an influx of information online. Uh, Television is something I don't watch anymore. I, I watch Jeopardy one night a week with my grandparents at six. That's it. <laughs> but um, new, news, 
I, I've noticed it's it's the same on every channel, you know, every single thing, and it's never anything good. <laughs> um, I think that if we did show good things, we might become better people, but I don't think that that's going to happen. Breaking news seems to be the same on from state to state, and it's uh, so it's not something that I really hold much that uh, truth in, you know. So I I do my own research on, of course, online, but uh, not on readily available ones. Uh, I try to, I, I go into more uh, like cited uh, peer review journals, things like that. But it's hard to to get those on things that are new because obviously they have to be reviewed and stuff too. So I, I wish that I knew more of things that happen right away, but I don't think that that is available to me. You think that um, is that part of uh, part of the problem today for for some? Is as you just mentioned earlier, they just read, look at the short piece, yes. don't ask any questions, and take that as yes. the truth. And and I think media sources use that to their advantage. It's, a, it's extremely propagated. Uh, propaganda is worse than I think it was Civil War, <laughs> which I think was what that was also. Extremely propagated. Uh, I don't think that we'd even have this two-sidedness of parties without that. And I, I think that at that point it was, you know, you pin poor white man against poor black man and create a problem where there wasn't one. And that's essentially how we became divided in the first place. And, you know, Today, you still see the segregation, you still see that as an issue. Black lives matter, but if you even say all lives matter, you're a racist. And I don't think that's fair. I, if, you're not, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. I think some people go out of their way to stand out. And not that I think everybody should just conform to be in something, but you definitely have your own identity. But I, I cannot use any derogatory terms toward anyone, which I wouldn't anyway, but, but it's okay for them to, you know, and in Butte, it's, it's different. You can go into some old bars up here and it says no Indians allowed. And, and today, you know, they're Native Americans. But um, that's something that when I see, I'm like, whoa, how are they really treated? You know, but I, I've had, I've waited on, a, I waited on a couple that were from out of state. And when she asked me my ethnicity, a lot of people ask me because they can't tell. <laughs> I get asked if I'm Asian quite often, but... Uh, she asked me what I what my background was, and I told her, and she said, you know, my father told me if I ever met a Native American to apologize. <laughs> and of course, she's a, a white woman, and and I I was confused. You know, that was something I had never heard, and I was trying to come up with the most correct response to not offend this woman also. But I, I essentially and finally told her, you know, just as I wasn't personally killed in a genocide of, of Native Americans, you personally didn't kill any of them. I'm grateful that you acknowledge and are aware of what happened, but you owe me no apology. Uh, I think if, if we continue to to want that apology, if, if Natives continue to want that apology and continue to hate white people for what happened, there, there's never going to be you know, a consensus. There's not going to be an agreement or understanding of it. That's, that's why I'm not registered with my tribe. I don't need a check to feel Native American. I just feel it. When I have a conversation with someone like Shana, I'm encouraged. I'm impressed with uh, the knowledge they have and uh, their interest and engagement uh, with what's going on in our country today. 
That's it for this episode of Dialogue from an American Mosaic. Thank you for listening, and again, please subscribe.